Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we hit the road to Bisbee to explore the brand new Bisbee Science Lab and talk with local educators about the challenges of teaching subjects like science and math in rural areas. The Bisbee Science Lab sits amid cafes and art galleries along the town's historic main street. We arrived on a chilly afternoon to tour the facility and talk with one of its founders. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Ed Kralovec. Christopher Conover, thanks for uh, inviting us down here. The Science Lab officially opened on February 1st. Kralovec says it's a really exciting project for Bisbee. It's really a research lab, and we are gaining... Uh, community input on what the community and the visitors who come to Bisbee would like to see in a permanent science center. Kralovec leads us over to one of those input gathering stations. So there will always be a question on the community engagement board. This one is, what do I want to know more about when it comes to science? And these are people's response to that. Pink, yellow, and cream-colored post-it notes offer up questions from kids and adults about monsoons, area geology, chemistry, and math. Then Kralovec leads us to an educational photo collection from the Sierra Club called Lens on the Border. She says this exhibit was tied to a recent Science Cafe lecture. We've worked really closely with the outreach uh, dean at the U of A to try to identify faculty whose research is in this area. We're really interested in bringing folks here who have done research on the border and on the San Pedro. Gives them a little more buy-in too because it's their backyard. Right, exactly, and I think that really helps science come alive for people. There's a birding display donated by a local birding enthusiast with translations into Spanish done by high school students in nearby Cananea, Mexico. Kralovec says they're committed to keeping the lab a bilingual space. I mean, this is a binational environment here in Bisbee, so it's great to have that kind of cross-border partnerships. Then she leads us over to a corner with a wall-mounted computer monitor, a headset, and a chair. This is our sort of most uh, technological event. This is our VR corner. But rather than video games, the virtual reality content loaded on screen is mostly STEM-related. So this space is uh, a very popular, and uh, this is Coel, who, Subi, who is an intern Hi. in the lab, and uh, he can help you with the VR if you'd like. I don't do it because it makes me dizzy. I put on the VR headset and Subi hands me the controllers, one for each hand. So I'm going to show you ShareCare VR. It has to do with human anatomy, so you're going to be exploring different parts of the body, and you can uh, take things apart in uh, basically every aspect of the human body. He helps me navigate through the program, separating a human body into layers. There you go. And now... Oh, that's now amazing. So it explodes the entire body into all the different systems. And a minute later, I'm looking at the inside of a human heart, hearing its beating in my ears. Yeah, the valves are up over my right shoulder. That's really amazing. Kralovec says the virtual reality set is a big draw for the science lab, but they'll always have hands-on kids' activities, too. While many players contributed to the science lab, she says at its core, it's a homegrown effort. 
this has really been a creation of the Bisbee community. I mean, the entire community came together. They painted the space. They built the shelves. We had 100 people at the Grand Ar 100 people in Bisbee is a huge turnout in Bisbee. But everybody here is so excited, the city council, the mayor. I mean, people are really engaged in, in making this a success. So this is the Bisbee Science Center, not because it's located in Bisbee, but this is Bisbee's Science Center. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> After our tour, Professor Kralovec and I sat down to talk more about the lab and local science and math education. She says partnerships and grants between the U of A, ASU, the National Science Foundation, USDA, City of Bisbee, and Freeport McMoran all contributed to getting the science lab off the ground. Kralovec heads up the graduate teacher education program at UA South, which she says focuses especially on the challenges faced by rural STEM teachers in the borderlands. The, the sort of lived reality of rural education people, it, I think, is very different than it is in more urban areas. I mean, there's connectivity problems with the Internet here, you know, so that everything's a little slow in the schools. There's less money in rural schools. There's greater achievement gaps that teachers are trying to plug. So it w became increasingly clear to me in working with these teachers that it, the achievement gap here is also an opportunity gap that there's no resources for informal STEM learning for kids in Cochise County. There's no uh, systematic places where teachers can take their kids on field trips in Cochise County. And seeing the resources in Tucson, for example, from the U of A and the opportunities that teachers and kids have, it just seemed like it, it, we really needed to have some kind of opportunities for informal STEM learning here. So I've been interested in that because I'm training STEM teachers. And we think challenges for border teachers is even a little bit different from other rural areas, you know. So we've been really focused on what do, what do we need to do to support teachers in border communities. Bisbee, because it is in a rural area with a, with a mining history, but close to the border, how different is it teaching in Bisbee than, say, in Tucson? I mean, I think that Bisbee is a unique community in and of itself, but even in Douglas or in Naco, there's the same kinds of challenges for teachers. And I mean, these are bi-national communities. People in Bisbee go to Naco, Sonora for dinner. They go to Naco to get their hair done. They, people who live here cross the border sometimes every day. They may live in Arizona and work in Cananea. So it, it, it's, it's a very fluid, bicultural, bi-national environment. When it comes to teaching teachers, which is what you specialize in. How do you recruit locals in this area? Well, you know, it's a really interesting question because it is the direction that we realize we need to take our work. And I, there's this sort of a framework that people are thinking about called Grow Your Own, where you recruit local high school kids and you support them through college and then they come back and teach in their communities. And it's a really powerful model for rural communities. And I think for border communities, it's unbelievably powerful. So I think that's the direction our work is going to go. But currently, the way we recruit them is we have scholarship money. You know, so the NSF Noise Border Scholars Program is a really uh, nice scholarship for students. 
What is the NSF Noyce Border Program? Well, the Noyce Border Scholars Program is part of the larger NSF Noyce Scholar Program, which is basically a scholarship program for STEM teachers to bring in recently graduated students or career changers. U of A has, has, has had Noyce scholars for a long time. And it's a pretty just standard scholarship program. For teachers, we have a little money in there to do professional development, but not much. When it comes to training STEM teachers here in Cochise County, what are you teaching them in this master's uh, program that might be different than, for example, if they moved to Tucson for two years and went to the main campus of the University of Arizona? Well, the University of Arizona doesn't have this kind of internship program because our kids go in and start teaching right away. So so we have a front-ended summer intense program on classroom management and getting them ready to start teaching for the first time. And then we have a coach who you'll meet who is in their classrooms all the time helping them. So we give them a lot of support in that first year. And we have a a monthly uh, teacher education seminar where we bring them all together because we believe that for first year teachers that a community of other teachers is really important for them to develop. But, you know, our conceptual framework for our program is equity literacy, and we we have to really help our students uh, understand, first of all, what kind of students they were, where they came from, what their positions were, and, and really help them see the students not from a deficit point of view, but understand, you know, I think that at U of A we call it the funds of knowledge. What do these kids bring into the classroom with them? We're talking with Dr. Etta Krolovec. Uh, We're in Bisbee, and she has helped put together the Bisbee Science Lab and also runs a program to help teach teachers how to teach science and math through the University of Arizona. How does the very exciting room out front that's the Bisbee Science Lab tie into all of this STEM education? Well, you know, one of the things I think that's been really clear from research over the last five or six years is that uh, commitments and intellectual interest in STEM on the part of students is best developed early, informally, and in an ongoing way. So if you are a kid in Tucson, let's say, you can go to the Children's Museum when you're whatever, two, and you're starting to learn STEM stuff there. You have all these opportunities there. You can go to the Desert Museum and see. But here, without those early and informal experiences, it's really hard to get kids excited about STEM because, you know, schools are tough places to learn things sometimes, and you sometimes have to come in wanting to learn that stuff. I would imagine, uh, especially on weekends and days off, some of those activities out in the science lab, there's there's got to be a line for some of them, everything from the bike that generates electricity to especially the virtual reality. There's always a line at the virtual reality. There's always a line at the bike. But, you know, it's a really exciting time here on the weekends because we get a lot of people who come through from like Cananea or AP because you can't really leave northern Mexico without coming through Bisbee if you want to go to Tucson, basically. So we get a lot of families from Mexico who come in on the weekends and their kids are playing. And we, we have bilingual interns here who are talking to them, interviewing them about what they'd like to see. So it, it is an exciting time. The Bisbee Science Lab has just opened. What's next? What's on the horizon for it? We think we're going to spend two years collecting data here. 
asking everybody that walks in the door what they'd like to see, interviewing people, doing, getting comment cards, really plumbing the depths of the STEM interest in this area. And then um, we're hopeful that we're going to raise, uh, maybe I shouldn't say the amount, but, you know, $45 million to build a permanent science center because there's just so many really interesting things here that kind of come together. All right. Well, thanks for sitting down with us. Well, thank you for your interest and, and for coming to the Bisbee Science Lab. That was Etta Kralovec, director of the Graduate Teacher Education Program at UA South. This week, we're learning about efforts to get more science and math teachers into borderland schools. Eric Meyer is a STEM coach. That means he spends a lot of time with teachers in their classrooms, determining what they need to grow and improve their instruction. Many of his students are older than a typical first-year teacher, coming into education after another career. Teachers that I work with, novice would probably be too generous of a word. They are career changers, and they're stepping into the role of, with all the responsibilities, signing a contract that a 20-year veteran would sign with none of the experience and none of the educational background. And so, in some part, some of the things that we work on are just some simple classroom management strategies and you know, getting kids to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it the way you want it to be done. But much of my work entails kind of breaking down some of their preconceived notions and traditional methods that they're used to observing as a student themselves or perhaps in other aspects of what they've observed in education and trying to get them to think differently about how people learn. Are STEM subjects harder for teachers to teach or easier or are they their own special thing just like every other subject? Well, I, I believe that there's specific pedagogical content-related strategies for whatever you teach. If you teach English, there's certain things that you may do in an English classroom that you wouldn't necessarily do in a science classroom. And science is, is certainly my forte and, and other STEM fields. And much of it is often hooked in a, in a unit plan that starts with uh, maybe an anchoring phenomenon and getting the kids interested through that type of a hook versus the traditional here's what we're going to study, here's the vocab words. and, and The way I learned. Yeah, the way that most of us learned. There is a change, as you said now, and if these are the folks you're working with are, are second career people, is it hard to break them of the way I learned, the way you learned, probably the way a lot of our listeners learn, to, to the more, what I think would be more fun, hook the kids and then worry about the vocabulary and all of that? Yeah, the content kind of comes out of that, and it's a much more interesting way to learn. To answer the question about how moldable these novice teachers are is an interesting one. I have very little difficulty with presenting new ideas to the teachers that I work with and, and their willingness to try new things and take risks, because the teachers that come into our program seem to accept their naivety, and they're eager for you to just tell them what to do. And to some extent, I try not to do that. It, it, it's really a conversation with them and making many things their idea. So how many students are you working with at a time? It's got to be a juggle on your part. So currently, I, I teach 10 teachers. That's down from 20 in previous years because the nature of what I do has shifted a bit. But as these teachers are teachers of record, I visit them in their classroom and do work with them one-on-one -on -one most of the time. But we do get together as per the coursework and other requirements and, and meet as a group face-to-face. -face. And so we 
um, have that opportunity to have the collaboration. And the nature of a lot of our coursework allows them to collaborate digitally through those, those course websites as well. Having done this for a little while, are there common themes you hear, especially in the groups, which might be a little bit of group therapy sessions also for these teachers? Are there common themes that they come to you with and to their colleagues with to try and solve? Well, the common themes probably revolve a lot around stresses that are put on them outside of their classroom. That's that's a theme, whether it be from administrative or state level mandates that they need to deal with. Other things when I challenge them to think differently about education is getting them to understand that they're a learner, first and foremost, if they're going to be a successful teacher. And I believe that teaching is the highest form of learning. And so that theme is something that they get hooked into and they they try to dive into that a lot. And so that's what I want. And that is definitely a theme that we focus on. Ever have to deal with uh, teachers that start this out and then say, oh, this is not what I thought it was. This is not for me and have to kind of coach them mm-hmm. off that cliff a little? Or yeah. <laughs> are they all just really excited about about STEM and teaching? Well, this job isn't for everyone, right? And so occasionally we have to consider um, if we need to coach someone out of, of the profession because we have a higher responsibility to the students, right? This isn't just about our program. This happens very rarely, I believe, in part now because our program has established some tremendous relationships with school districts and administrators, as well as the recruits that we get into our program currently seem to be stronger and stronger each year. And so I'm dealing with some of those dispositions less and less. And what are some of the things that you teach them when they're in the classroom um, learning to be teachers? I would think one of the most important things that I help them with is establishing relationships with their students. I think just making that relationship uh, a priority and creating an environment that's safe, but even further inviting for students. Because when a student comes to school, we want them to enjoy being there. Overwhelmingly, an indicator of how successful a student will be is less of how well they do in school, but how long they remain in school. And so if we can make our school environment an inviting place that they want to be, that's much more important. That was Eric Meyer, a STEM teacher coach at UA South. Next, we sat down with a trio of area teachers who left their first professions to become teachers through the UA Masters of Education program. My name is Sergio Catenaso. I teach uh, geometry at Bisbee High School. Yeah, I just uh, joined this program. I, I'm a career changer. Uh, so uh, two years ago, I was uh, I was doing computer work uh, for the government. Prior to that, generally uh, working in telecommunications. So I decided to uh, give this teaching business a try. And I'm Sharon Laredo Christie, and I teach math at uh, NACO School, and I absolutely love it. Uh, previously, I used to work for the Department of Corrections for 11 years, and then um, at my late 40s, I decided that I wanted to make my dream come true, and this dream was to graduate from the U of A. So I got my undergrad in psychology, and then I decided to become a teacher and teach math, and I'm so very happy. My true calling. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Doran. I teach science at the Center for Academic Success, the campus in Sierra Vista here. I used to do different things. I have a master's in 
environmental safety and health. So I actually worked in nuclear power for years, not your average science teacher. But I do, I love teaching too. It, I think it was my calling as well. None of you is a recent uh, high school graduate, shall we say, to just be nice about it. Uh, <laughs> what made you decide after successful careers that that's not what you want to do anymore? You want to go back into the classroom where we all started and, and be a teacher. Whatever possessed you to want to do that? I, I'm still asking myself that question. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it, it seems that the answer changes uh, week by week or month by month. Yeah, um, I guess I uh, just want to do something useful. And, uh, and I'm told teaching is useful. I think for me, getting a little older actually helps us have a clear vision of what our purpose is. And, um, and it's something that I talk to the high school students about a lot because I think that's one of the hardest things about being a teenager they're they're really flailing a little bit trying to figure out what they're here for and so for me I think it was really a, a fulfillment of oh maybe that's what I really want to do in your heart you know so I think it's a fulfillment of our purpose and you know that when you have a great class it feels so good that you walk out of there feeling like wow I did something I did something of value today and Sharon what brought you back to the classroom all those years later? Well, I recently turned 50. And um, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. My father was a teacher for over 50 years in Agua Prieta. And he, th that guy was my hero. And every year, it was the greatest feeling to see all these kids graduate from middle school and high school. I wanted to relive that high, that happiness, to see those dreams fulfilled. It's, it's better than I ever imagined. So I guess I wanted to emulate my father, and I'm glad I did. I hope I can be as good as a teacher as he was. Do you all find it easy or hard to use your previous experience, your, your past life, if you will, in the classroom? Does that, does that help, and does that help light up the kids? Yes and no. Uh, some some days I feel that oh yeah all, all this I, I know about computers and and telecommunications. Uh, mind you, the telecommunications I worked with was, was from that time that your phone wouldn't fit in your pocket, <laughs> all right. But uh, but still, so yeah yeah, there's there's sure a, a connection, an immediate connection, and and there are days that uh, I can readily see. It. So to answer your question, maybe <laughs> uh, it's. it's it's a mixed bag. You have to connect with them on analogies. I use analogies a lot, so I'm a little older than the rest of you, so I have a little mm -hmm. more experience. And having a teenager, teenager of my own, I try to keep up with the lingo. But if, if you can connect the real world to what you're teaching them, if you can't do that every day, then you lost them. You know, so I try to connect what I'm teaching them to real-world uses of it, whether it's for work or just problem-solving. Sergio, as a second-year student in the program, tell me about what you thought coming in and what, you, what you're thinking is now that you've been through two years. I, I'm sure it's, it sounds like a very intensive two years for you. Yeah, it's it's been a, a lot more than uh, than what I had anticipated, if I had anticipated anything, because I I really didn't. I just thought, okay, well, 
yeah, I, I can get through this. So, yeah, I've been overwhelmed at times, and uh, but I have learned a great deal, and uh, this is not uh, everybody's cup of tea, yeah. <laughs> Sharon, you're shaking your head. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Why isn't it? Maybe you have to be extra patient. I love my kids, but sometimes I have to be extra patient with them. <laughs> so maybe some folks don't have that patience, you know, but I, I would still give it a try if you, you're considered to be a teacher because it will, your patience will grow as your love for them grows. So you should give it a try. But yes, it's a mixed bag, like Sergio said. Talk a little bit about your first year, if you can, because you're the first year in the program and, and, and some of maybe the expectations you had coming in versus the realities you're now dis- beginning to discover and, and the workload and all of that. I can't stress this enough. I love this craft, but it is a roller coaster. And uh, I didn't expect it to be so intense. I didn't expect the high highs and the low lows. I didn't expect that I was going to learn so much from my students. They've been my greatest teachers. And Liz, you've been through the program. Would you recommend to other people, hey, there's a program that maybe you should think about? Absolutely. You know, teacher retention is a big problem. And I think that it's a multifaceted problem, obviously. And there's a lot of legislative issues going on. But as far as the program, you know, I think anything that builds a support network and community, you know, mentors that help get each other through it. That first year of teaching, I don't know how to, I can't describe it. It's very difficult. What was amazing about that program is you're learning skills as you're utilizing them. So it all reinforces itself. So it's not supposed to be easy. Teaching isn't easy. And it's because you care so much about those kids. It's a giving craft, but you get it back. That was Bisbee High math teacher Sergio Catanazo, Naco Elementary math teacher Sharon Christie, and Elizabeth Doran, who teaches science at the Center for Academic Success in Sierra Vista. And that's the buzz for this week. Do you have an idea for The Buzz? Contact us through our Facebook page or via Twitter. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.